0: Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, The thought of the God that we are blessed to serve ought to move us to admiration and awe. Uh, We stand in admiration of the fact that that God is holy and just and complete all by himself. Uh, We stand in awe of his creation in its origin and in its beauty. Uh, The universe was created by the word of God and stands in the magnificence of his power. Uh, Moreover, uh, we stand in awe of the fact that God condescends to be in a covenant relationship with us, and in the light of all that God is, it behooves us to so pattern our lives after his word and after his will uh, that we might be accepted of him and find grace in his sight. Uh, David declares back in Psalm 19, uh, verse uh, 14, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And may we ever be mindful of the fact that God is in fact, our strength, God is our redeemer. And whatever the case may be in this world that God is greater than the world. And Jesus said, for that reason, we ought to have peace. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. Uh, we want to direct your attention again this morning to the text that was read into our hearing there in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we want to read again there, verse number 45. Uh, in your Bibles, Matthew 12, verse 45, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation." Based on the words of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 12, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject, a soul for rent. For the year Uh, 2021, we are using as a theme, staying focused on Jesus. And as a sub-theme for the month of February, uh, I want to use the sub-theme, things Jesus taught. Uh, If we focus on the things Jesus taught, then certainly we are focused uh, on Jesus. And as we Consider the text that we have before us here in Matthew chapter 12. The occasion of the telling of this parable stems from an arrogant request from a group that had previously accused Jesus of being in league with the devil. If you read earlier there in Matthew chapter 12, they said that Jesus only cast out devils by the devil. And this group had already witnessed a number of miracles. And yet they had the audacity to demand a sign of their choosing. In his parallel account of this event, Luke informs us that they wanted to see a sign from heaven. Now, undoubtedly, this was a request for some sensational wonder uh, that served no, no purpose other than appealing to their curiosity. Jesus refused their request, not because he couldn't do what they required, but because he knew who he was dealing with. And we learn from Jesus that there is a a lack of wisdom, uh, a a lack of love and a lack of maturity in, in contending with other people simply for the sake of contention. You see, the scribes and Pharisees had already refused previous miracles. Uh, we know from the biblical record that they would refuse future miracles. And a great lesson in life to learn for, for my own peace of mind and for my own spiritual well being is to be able to discern the difference between people that can be reasoned with and people that simply want to contend. Now, a person that can be reasoned with is not lacking in conviction, but they are objective and they are as much willing to listen to understand as they are to speak. On the other hand, a contentious person is unwilling to listen, but very desirous to speak. And, And that there is a difference is confirmed by the counsel of Jesus. You remember, Uh, Matthew chapter 10, that he tells us that there comes a time when you need to shake the dust off your feet. See, everyone can't be reasoned with. And and it's not unheard unheard of that the unreasonable person calls others unreasonable. You ever met a person like that? I mean, they have trouble getting along with just about everybody. And, and, And to let them tell it, people are difficult to deal with. Well, when we look at Matthew 12 here, Jesus tells a parable that addresses the heart of the problem for the scribes and Pharisees, the, the reason that they rejected him and all that was spoken of him uh, in the scriptures. Now, appreciate as we read this account that we all struggle, but we struggle for different reasons. Some struggle uh, because their hearts are full And when I mean, and when I say full, I mean that their hearts are full of the cares and concerns of this life, so full of the cares and concerns of this life that there's no room for Jesus. And when we say that, I think of the rich young ruler. Do you remember uh, he came to Jesus wanting to know what good thing he should do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus told him, the Bible says that he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. His life was too full of his material possessions for him to follow Jesus. In Proverbs 30 and verse number seven, we are told, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now, from what we read there in Proverbs, it is possible for one's life to be so full of secular concerns and material possessions and all of that kind of thing that there is no regard or no room for the Lord. Now, at the other end of the spectrum are those whose hearts are empty. And and, and let me just tell you, the devil sees an empty heart as an invitation and an opportunity. This is the declaration of Jesus uh, in our text. In in verse 44, uh, you see that he says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. See, an empty life is the one devoid of the life-giving things of the spirit. And as far as the devil is concerned, an empty heart might as well have a sign on it that reads a soul for rent. To advertise something as being for rent is to declare that the thing in question can be used for a price. Now, let me be careful to say that money is not the only medium of exchange. You can rent some things for money, uh, but appreciate money can't buy everything. See, a a woman may advertise that her virtue is for rent uh, at the price of a man's affection or attention. Uh, A a person may advertise that their integrity is for rent uh, at the price of promotion or recognition. Now, let me be careful to say that some things should not be available for rent at any price, no matter what the medium of exchange. Now, let me give you something else for free before I move on to my three points. One may not be aware that one is advertising or may not appreciate that others misunderstand the terms of your offer. I'm going to give you an illustration and trust that you can make any necessary application to your own living. Your dress communicates a message to others. Now they may misunderstand uh, uh, the message you're trying to communicate by your dress. They may judge you unfairly. I'm just stating that your dress communicates a message to others. Back in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 38, and verses 14 and 15, uh, there's a situation there with Judah and Tamar and we really don't have to know all that was going on behind it, but but let me read you the two verses there in Genesis 38. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was growing was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. Now, whatever the standards were in that day, one of the things that's clear is when a woman covered her face the way that Tamar did, it was advertising that she was a, a harlot. And, and, you know, even years later in Proverbs 7 and verse number 10, Uh, uh, Solomon would warn us uh, 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 that certain uh, beware of the woman that dressed herself in the attire of a harlot. Now you may say that's judging unfairly or that's not the message I'm trying to send. Be that as it may, life is, uh, you have to deal with what is rather than what should be. Tamar was advertising to Judah. But you know, one wonders if Tamar had seen Julia, uh, uh, Judah earlier advertising something that made her think he would be open to what she advertised. Uh, You know, sometimes you can send a message to people, sometimes you can let them know, I don't play that. And and then sometimes you can send a message to them which says, "Uh, I do play that. See, one's actions can be a form of advertisement. See, what I laugh at is, is, is an advertisement. What I'm willing to listen to is an advertisement. What I agree with is an advertisement. Now, people may misunderstand the terms of my offer, but nonetheless, uh, uh, there are things about me that send a message to other people. Now, there are a host of applications you could make from that. You know, uh, uh, one's integrity on the job or at school, or fairness and consistency with others, and, and on down the line you can go. But I I think we're all capable of rational coherent thought. Uh, uh, You make the application to your own living. But, But back here to Matthew chapter 12, this parable of the unclean spirits was directed to the scribes and Pharisees concerning the problem of an empty heart. Now the scribes and Pharisees were masters at polishing the exterior while neglecting the interior. In Matthew chapter 23 in your Bibles and beginning at verse number 25, uh, Jesus says there, "'Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you make clean the outside of the cup "'and of the platter, "'but within they are full of extortion and excess. "'Thou blind Pharisee, "'cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, "'that the outside of them may be clean also.' Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy uh, and iniquity. Now, Jesus is letting us know Uh, you know, polish on the exterior uh, really doesn't address the problem. And and the scribes and Pharisees gave great attention and effort to appearing spiritual outwardly, but they rejected the inner life-changing requirements of God's law. And and the lesson to be learned from this is, is that we want to work at being holy rather than simply trying to look holy. See, when I'm living right, my living will speak for itself. I don't have to run around telling people all the things that I do or all the things that are true about me. If I'm living it, then it will be evident in my living. Now, the warning from Jesus here in Matthew 12 is that even if one cleans one house, if left empty, the devil will see that as an invitation and an opportunity. It's no wonder in the Bible there are so many exhortations about what to fill ourselves with. Uh, you know, you take like a Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Uh, uh, you take like a, a, a Philippians 4.8, where Paul said, think on the things that are uh, true and honest and just. And, and he has a catalog of things there to think on. If I will not fill myself with these things, then the devil will come by and see that I'm advertising that my soul is for rent. And did you know that Jesus and the devil can't live in the same heart together? This was Jesus' point when he refuted their claims that he cast out devils by the devil back in verse number 25. Jesus said that a house divided can't stand. Jesus and the devil can't live together uh, in the same heart. So when we look at verses 44 and 45, he says the unclean spirit goes out of a man, uh, 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 but he doesn't find anywhere suitable to dwell. So he comes back to the heart that he left and, and when he finds it empty, not only does he move back in, but he has the gall to bring some company with him. Now. Uh, All the parents out there, you ought to be able to say amen to that. You know, that's just the unheard of thing. You know, when your kids get older and move out, now, circumstance, you know, life happens to everybody and circumstances may be that you need to move back in. Now, that's that's a maybe. There ain't no guarantee you coming back. But if you do come back, don't bring company with you. Don't leave a solo act and come back with, with three or four others. If you leave, at best, you can come back, but you can't come back and be bringing a household with you. Well, well, the demon has the gall to leave and then bring seven other spirits. And I, and I don't think Jesus necessarily meant seven in number. I, I think he was talking about, uh, uh, you know, just the bad estate that the person was in. But, but the unclean spirit had nerve to move back in and, and bring company with it. Now, let me be careful to say, as we read the text here in, in Matthew chapter 12, that I do not, and, and I wanna stress do not, believe that people are possessed of demons or unclean spirits as they were in the days of Jesus. Now, I do believe it happened in the days of Jesus, And I do believe that the devil and his army are still a very real and and present threat uh, because the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. I believe, unfortunately, that the devil is alive and well, and that he and his minions are still very much at work uh, in our world today. And there are some demons that would love to invade your life uh, and your heart. Now, notice again there in in Matthew 12 and and verse number 45, it says he he goeth and he taketh with himself Seven, seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. I, I, I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about some of the demons that would love uh, to invade your heart. Uh, uh, number one this morning, uh, uh, the demon of deception would love to get into your living. And the demon of deception is that voice that gets in your ear in times of adversity and tries to create doubt in your mind. Now, there are many types of deception, and the devil is a deceiver. You know, the first time we read about him in Scripture, uh, he shows up deceiving Eve. Now, concerning the devil, Jesus himself said in John 8, verse number 44, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we would do well to appreciate that the demon of deception uh, is still very active in our world today. And the demon of deception wants us to doubt. Now, maybe someone asked the question, doubt what? Well, the demon of deception wants you to doubt that the power of God will preserve you. Uh, uh, whenever adversity shows up, the demon of doubt wants you to believe that you're doomed, that that there's no hope and nothing good can come out of this. Uh, uh, the demon of doubt, uh, deception rather, Uh, I want you to doubt that the providence of God will guide you. One of the things we need to remember in our world is nothing takes God by surprise. Everything happens according to his determined or permissive will. Now, the fact that I don't understand doesn't mean that God doesn't understand. God didn't call me to know everything he knows. God called me to trust him. And as long as God knows what's going on, I need to be all right with that and just trust the fact that God is faithful. The demon of deception wants you to doubt that the promises of God will sustain you. How do you think you've made it this far in life? Whatever your road may have been, however bumpy it may have been, however hard it may have been, you are here today because the promises of God have sustained you. Now, when we allow ourselves to be deceived uh, uh, on the level that God uh, uh, won't preserve us, He won't guide us, so He won't sustain us, when we are deceived on that level, not only do we jeopardize our own well-being, but we become a hazard and a stumbling block uh, to others. If you remember in your Bibles, in 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 14, Paul said there, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now here what Paul did and did not say, Eve was deceived. She really believed for whatever reason what the serpent said to her. Now Adam wasn't deceived, but he was wrong. Now I know he was wrong uh, because of what Paul says about him in Romans chapter five, And because what God said to him in Genesis chapter three, you remember when God spoke to Adam in Genesis chapter three, God said, uh, now now I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit. God said, I'm displeased with you. You're wrong because you hearken to the voice of your wife. In other words, Adam, you knew better. You knew you weren't supposed to be eating the fruit, but in order to try to satisfy your wife and, and to keep things, everything, everything in the home, You listened to Eve and and did what I told you not to do. Now, Eve was deceived, but she became a hazard and a stumbling block to her husband. Now, that doesn't exonerate Adam. Adam, you know right from wrong. You should have done what was right in the first place. But if Eve hadn't been deceived, then we wouldn't be to the other points in the first place. But be that as it may, they were both wrong and God dealt with both of them but we need to beware of the demon of deception. And and then not only is there the demon of deception that we need to be careful of, but but we also wanna beware of the demon of discouragement. Now the demon of discouragement is the voice that asks the question, what's the use? Uh, 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 The demon of discouragement is that voice that just wants you to give up. You know, you've been trying and you've been trying to do the right thing and there's people that don't even pay God any mind and, and they don't go through what you've been going through. Now, the demon of discouragement appreciates that even as the deceived are a hazard to others, the discouraged can become a burden and a stumbling block to others. I would venture that all of us have been discouraged at some point in our living. That, that's just life. Everybody knows what it is to be discouraged. I, I believe that's part of the reason there's so much in the Bible said about encouragement. Uh, uh, you know, you take like a Galatians 6:2 where we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, but worse than being discouraged is wallowing in it. You know, it's difficult, if not impossible, to help someone that refuses to try. Yeah, you ever been watching one of those movies where the people are getting chased by someone that doesn't mean them any good? And, and you know, in the process of the chasing, somebody falls down and says, you know, leave me, I can't go on any further. Now, now, if if I was in that movie, I'd tell them, look, that's what I'm fixing to do if you don't get up from there and start trying to run again. It is difficult, if not impossible to help someone that refuses to try. Now, if you're gonna stop running, it ain't a whole lot I can do for you. Well, don't you know that's true in the Christian race? I I need to keep going. It it, is better to limp in the right direction than to just give up and stop moving uh, at all. You see, the devil understands that the Christian life is a journey that requires our best effort boosted by the grace of God to make it. Why do you think Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When Paul said, I press toward the mark, Paul was saying, I give it my best effort, day by day, moment by moment. Don't you? That's why Jesus tells us to live one day at a time. Don't try to live tomorrow before today is through. It's enough going on today. That's going to require your best effort boosted by the grace of God to make it. Life is a daily struggle and the one that is mired in discouragement will not allow faith in God to sustain them. We need to beware of the demon of discouragement and don't miss the demon of discouragement sometimes works through the children of God. You know if you're not careful sometimes it can be another Christian that can be a great source of discouragement in your living. Well, just remember, just because we in Christ don't always mean we let Christ work in us, but beware of the demon of discouragement. And then third this morning, we wanna beware of the demon of procrastination. Now, now, I don't have seven demons. I know somebody wondering how long this sermon gonna take. He got four more demons to go. Now I'm just gonna do three this morning. The, the demon of procrastination is the voice that tells you that it can wait until tomorrow. Uh, uh, now, the demon of procrastination preys upon our presumption. I would venture that we have all made the decision to put off a later something that we could have, or should have done now. And there are at least two dangers in in, in such a decision. Number one, there is the presumption that there will be a later. You remember James uh, admonishes us in James four verses 13 and 14, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away." James is warning us, look, be careful about presuming. And and maybe I'm not presuming about next month or next next year. You know, sometimes we can be presumptuous about things that we do all the time. You ever left the house and said to your family, I'll be right back? Well, how do you know you'll be right back? Now, that's your plan, but what's to say that your plans won't go uh, uh, amiss? What's to say that you won't, you know, God forbid, be in a car accident or something else could happen? Uh, uh, the, de- uh, the demon of procrastination preys upon our uh, uh, tendency to be presumptuous. And then the second danger uh, of delay is that there is the presumption that even if there is a later, I won't put it off again. Well, if I put it off once, what's to say that I won't put it off twice? And if I put it off twice, what's to say that I won't put it off three times? Have you ever had the intention of doing something and before you know it, months, maybe years have passed by and and you wondering where did the time go? Maybe it's being consistent in prayer or, or, or Bible study. Uh, Maybe it's contacting someone. You know, you say the person been on my mind and two months later, they still on your mind and I haven't reached out to them yet. Uh, uh, Maybe it's trying to mend a broken relationship. Uh, uh, Maybe it's finally making a serious effort to lay aside some sin or some weight in your life. The more something is put off, the easier it becomes to keep putting it off. See, the demon of procrastination, if he can get you to put it off the first time. See, well, once you put it off once, it becomes easier to put it off twice. But make no mistake about it, the devil is still very active in our life. And I've used the term demon, unclean spirit interchangeably. Uh, 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 There are some uh, uh, demons that we need to be aware of that would love to get into our living and make us unfruitful uh, and not just unproductive, but even counterproductive in, in the work of the master's kingdom. Now, thank God that God calls us uh, to be reconciled to him in the person of Christ Jesus. But what we want to do is when I come to Christ, uh, and not just clean the house out, but fill it with things so that, so that the unclean spirit doesn't see me as advertising Uh, 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 my soul for rent. Uh, uh, It doesn't see me as an invitation and an opportunity to move back in. Well, God calls us to be reconciled through the gospel of Christ Jesus. He requires that we hear the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins but was raised on the third day for our justification. In Romans 10 verse 17 in your Bibles, there Paul declares that Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God requires that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus says, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He requires that we be willing to repent. And in keeping with the parable here, repentance is not just cleaning the house, but is filling it with something else so that there is are room for the unclean spirit to move back in. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Bible there declares that there was a time that God winked at ignorance, but now he commands that all men everywhere repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Christ Jesus. We must make the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 10, verse 32, and then be baptized in water for the remission of sins, uh, Acts 2, verse 38. You remember there, the first time the gospel message was preached, the question was asked what needed to be done to be reconciled to God. And Peter answered there, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we obey the command of God by submitting to water baptism, When we go into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus, uh, indwells us with his spirit and adds us to the church and thereby requires that we live obediently. In Ephesians 4 verse one, Paul declared that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation with which we have been called. Uh, What Paul was saying in other words is that once you've cleaned the house, You need to fill it with something else so that the devil doesn't see you as an opportunity and an invitation to move back in. If you're listening to this broadcast, you understand that Jesus is the Christ. You want to be baptized in his name for the remission of sins and become a member of the Lord's church. Then we bid you to reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net and provision will be made to baptize you today into Christ Jesus. And at this time we'll have the song of invitation.